sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, I pray that the Spirit of the Lord empowers us. Father, you did not leave us stranded. You gave us your word. You gave us prayer. You gave us opportunity to reach people for your cause. Father, I just ask that you do something mighty here through your people. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I just want to say this before I get into here. And, and I don't know if you, you know this, and maybe this is just my opinion, but every sermon you listen to, whether you find value in it or not, I, I hope that every sermon you listen to inspires you to action. If you come to listen the way that sort of scripture talks about it, then your ears are just tickled. But if you come to be changed, and not just to be changed, but to change the world, then that's a different story. So I ask you, be open to action. I want to tell you about a rabbi, obviously, a rabbi. His name is Rabbi Achiva ben Yosef. Well, Yosef is what in English? What do we? Joseph. So this guy, this rabbi, was very old when he became a rabbi. Now, you know that in, in biblical tradition, usually the age of becoming a rabbi was about 30. Hence, Jesus' ministry as rabbi happens around age 30. Akiva was a shepherd, and he was a poor shepherd. And this poor shepherd was illiterate. And he was 40 years old, and as he worked herding sheep, a young lady who happened to be the daughter of his master became very fond of Akiva, and obviously he became very fond of her. And so she said, what are your dreams? I know you are a very pious and modest guy. What are your dreams? And he said, my dream is to study Torah. But there's a problem. I can't read. And she said, if you marry me, I will help you accomplish your dreams. But there was another problem. Her dad was wealthy and did not want her marrying somebody poor. So she had a decision to make, and she said, will I stay, you know, and be arranged with somebody that my dad will find, or will I go be with this poor shepherd who wants to study Torah? And she chose Achiva. And she inspired him to be one of the greatest rabbis that none of you know. Ironically, the 
the Old Testament canon, what you have in your hands, Old Testament-wise, was put together primarily from Akiva. Before the canon was set later, which, you know, that's what is accepted scripture, the Old Testament accepted scripture is there because of him. Do you know that most rabbis and scholars wanted to get rid of the books of Esther and Song of Solomon? But he fought and said, no, this is inspired writing. It would not look like that without the rabbi, this rabbi here. So near the end of the rabbi's life, he was still teaching Torah. He had learned how to read, and he was, he was absorbing Torah, and he was still teaching Torah, God's word. But the Romans said, we prohibit any teaching of Torah and any reading of Torah. Do you think that stopped him? No, it didn't stop him. He's like Bill Merman, very persistent, very stubborn, but a great person. And he kept persisting and kept persisting, and he'd have his Bible study groups, you know, his Torah st- studies. And one of his students said, Sir, I think it's, Rabbi, I think it's getting too dangerous. Why are you risking your life to get into Torah? He said, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. There were these fishermen that were fishing, and they were being very aggressive in their fishing, and the fish saw this coming. So they, they went all the way other, to the other side of the lake. And they're there, crouching at the one side of the lake, and a fox comes up to the end of the, the edge of the lake and says, what are you guys doing? And the fish said, the fishermen are very aggressive, and they're going to try to take us, and we are trying to get as far away from them. And, he said, and the fox said, wait, 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 I've got an idea. Why don't I take you out, and we run very, very, very far away, and I'll take you to another lake. But it's very far away from here. And so the fish, they, they huddled in their school, right? In their school of fish, they huddled, and they said, what should we do? And they came to a consensus, and they went back to the, the fox, and they said, Mr. Fox, we have decided that in our life source, the water, we have a chance. But if we ever go out of our life source, we don't have a chance. At, we have no chance at all. And he responded to his student. He said, the Torah is your life source. If you remove yourself from your life source, you have no chance. Be like the fish and stay in your life source, no matter the danger to your life. And this is the legacy that Akiva led. By the way, just so that you know, he was martyred for standing up for Torah because he would not stop teaching Torah. Obviously, this is our section We're going to the tabernacle. We have been in the tabernacle for the last couple of weeks. Last week, we talked about the the altar of incense, and it's clearly stated in Scripture that the altar of incense, the incense represents what? The prayer of the saints. Prayer. Now, by the way, who is the royal priesthood? 
Come on, I heard two people. Who is the royal priesthood? You are. We are. We all have access to the holy place. Okay? This is not something for a Levitical priesthood. It is ours. This is to represent what we are to do. So you see, there's the altar of incense. I'm sorry, it's not a clear picture. But to the north of the building was a table. And the table had six loaves on this side, six loaves on this side. And by the way, most of us have interpreted it that it's matzah, right? You know, matzah means unleavened. It doesn't say that in Scripture. There are some historians like Josephus that say, yeah, it was probably matzah because there were places that you shouldn't have leaven in the sanctuary. So it's believed that it's probably matzah, but that's not necessarily scriptural. It was just logic putting it together. But the bread was uneaten until the week was over. So every week you would make this bread. And it would sit there, and as the priest would come in every day, I'm sure the first day, you know the, how many of you bake bread? How many of you bake bread? You know the smell of fresh baked bread. And I'm sure that first day, you know, they might even, you know, they smell that bread, and they're ready. And every day is that reminder. And then after the seventh day, they would take it, and then they'd split it up with the, the priests, and they would eat it. And they replace it. Now, now actually, tradition teaches, I'm not, this isn't in scripture, but tradition teaches that, that the priests, there would be four priests, and what they would do is that so there was always bread available on that table, they would go, you know, sort of the, you know, where you take the cloth, that there would always be bread on the table. They would take it and take it off and put the other one simultaneously because they always wanted bread on the table. Now, I've read in, in Jewish scholars, there is such a variety of what they believe the bread represents. And a lot of them just don't, we don't know. It represents Thanksgiving. It represents how God provided during the Exodus. It represents all this stuff. I have a diff, different opinion. Actually, the Hebrew word for the table of showbread, the showbread, is lechem. Can you say lechem? Oh, I heard it, lechem. Hapanim. Okay, lechem. Hapanim. Lechem just means bread or food. Hence the name of the city, Beit Lechem. What, what city is that? Beit Lechem. Bethlehem. The house, Beit, it means house. Lechem means food. The house of food. It's funny when there were famines in Beit Lechem. Don't you see that? Like in the story of Ruth, it says there was a famine in the house of food. Uh, I don't know. To me, that's funny. So, lechem just means bread. Hapanim means the face. The showbread is the bread of the face. And so, what is interpreted is that the bread of the face means the bread of presence. The bread of the presence. The presence of God is in this bread. So, when you eat it, it is not just bread. It is something that will sustain you much further than just regular bread. 
So we come to Matthew chapter 4, the text that we read, that Elder Di read. And like he said, there is a temptation happening. By the way, if any of you feel like you were tempted, that your life is full of temptation, imagine Jesus and the enemies of evil that Satan must have unleashed on him. That he was tempted on every side, and they were trying to gain any kind of advantage. And that first temptation was make this, these stones into bread. And he responds this way in Matthew 4. Jesus answered, It is written, that's key, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every, mouth that comes from the, every word that comes from the mouth of God is as important, if not more, than regular bread. Actually, in Job 23, 12, it says this. Job is speaking. He says, I have not departed from the commandments of, thy li- of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. In Hebraic thought, bread oftentimes represents God's word. It is something that sustains. It is something that you cannot live without. Actually, in the correlation, if you turn to John chapter 6, when Jesus says this, after he had fed the 5,000, by the way, he says in verse, um, verse 48, I am the bread of life. By the way, remember in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. So he was the word, and he just claims, I am the bread. The bread from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that has come down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread. That came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now, if you have read this story, which you might have forgotten, there is an argument after this. Jesus, you know, at times Jesus is is sort of prodding them. You know, woe to you Pharisees and some of the stuff that he says. And and he says, he says, you got to eat of my flesh. And all the people start arguing. What does this mean? What is he talking about? And, and some of them actually leave. And Jesus asks, are you going to leave too, to his disciples? Is this too hard for you? He said, we have nowhere to go. But later on, he says this in, in verse 63. Just so you know what, my, what the bread means. Verse 63 says, the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. So remember, I just told you, you have to eat of my flesh. But that really doesn't mean anything. What I really mean is, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. 
God's word is life. Can you say that? God's word is life. God's word is life. Actually, even in Hebraic writings, if any of you have heard of Mishnah, which there are many Mishnah, uh, the Perke Avot, it said there was a quote, a famous quote. It says, without bread or flour, there is no Torah. But without Torah, there is no bread. The Jewish concept is, if you only have physical sustenance, you will die inside. And if you only have spiritual, you will die outside. They work hand in hand. The bread represents the word. Could you imagine in our day, just imagine in your own life. I just want you to imagine. If you could only eat food, so we're not just going to say bread, but because lechem means food. If you could only eat food proportionate to how much time you spend in the Word. So if you don't eat spiritual food on Monday, you don't get to eat regular food on Monday. If you don't eat spiritual food on Tuesday then you don't eat regular food on Tuesday. I know, you know, in my short ministry, I know at least that there would be a lot of people hungry coming Sabbath time. And that's sad to say. That proportionate, if we would do that, Proportionate to the time we spend in the word, you're only allowed to eat at that time. But he says, and even Hebrew tradition teaches, you cannot really have physical bread without spiritual bread. Do you know that there is power in the bread? And there's, there's a reason why all of this is brought in. Even in the New Testament, there's power to sustain, sustain life. There is power to endure disaster. Do, you, do any of you can? Can food? Do you can food? Have you ever been into like a tornado shelter and you see like there's a shelf, somebody who's really well prepared, a shelf of, for food because you know you might be there for a little while. If you are smart, it helps you endure disaster. It helps heal. Food is healing, right? We should love food. God gave us food. In the context of John 6, the bread has power to multiply. Do you remember? Jesus said, give me what you have. Oh, two loaves? I mean, five loaves? I can do something with that. It has power to multiply. I want to read a few verses to you. First, and and these are going to be, they're not up here. They're going to be sort of rapid fire. First, our 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. All scripture is God-breathed. It is what? God-breathed from his mouth. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how are you equipped? Through God's word. The next one, 
Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the fall flowers, so things just die. But the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah, I mean, Psalm 1830 says this. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. The word is flawless. Psalm 119 is probably the epitome of God's word. Verse 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? That's the question. By living according to your word. 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Verse 114 says this, you are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. And maybe one of the most famous ones of this says, your word, thy word, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. By the way, do you know the meaning it's believed of that text is that in those days, you know, they didn't have flashlights. They would tie candles to their sandals. Well, it rhymes, candles to their sandals. They would tie candles to their sandals, and it was dual purpose. So as you walk, it would light the path around you not so concerned way out there, it's just right here. But on paths, oftentimes there were dangers like snakes. And they would be afraid of the light that would come from your foot. So it is thought by the, by the rabbis, it, it was taught that the light in front of your path actually keeps the enemy away from you. Here's the thing. I'm going to read one more text. It says this, For the word of God is living and active. This is in Hebrews 4. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even dividing the soul and the spirit and the joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know, there is one weapon. If you go to the armor of God in Ephesians 6, there is one weapon of offense that you have. Everything else is defense. Do you guys know the armor of God? I, 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 I want to encourage you just for time that you read it in Ephesians 6. The armor of God says, I mean, you have, what, what, is, the, what is this? The belt of what? Okay, you got a belt of truth. Okay, what is here? Breastplate of what? Righteousness. Uh, what are they wearing? Helmet of salvation. Okay, what's on the feet? Yeah, the gospel of peace. And then what, are the, what, what am I holding? The shield of what? Faith. Do you notice every one of those are defense? So the enemy could keep pounding at you, pounding at you. Now, they might get tired, but they're pounding, pounding, pounding. And guess what? The enemy is, re, is resilient. And he will keep pounding and pounding and pounding unless you have a weapon. And there is one weapon mentioned in Scripture, and it's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Which I already heard it. Somebody stole my thunder. But it's all right, because I'm glad you know it. And it says this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the, and the, sword of the Spirit, which is the what? Word of God. If you want the enemy to flee, you need 
the word. Many of us are wondering, why is the enemy, why am I being attacked? Why am I being attacked? Why am I being attacked? I wonder if, and, I'm, and these are good people, I'm not saying that, but I'm wondering if we're trying to use all of our defensive to fight an enemy when God gave us a weapon. We're the offensive. Hey, who's stronger, God or the enemy? There are like four people that said that. Who's stronger, God or the enemy? God. This is his territory. The enemy, it says in James that, yeah, the demons believe, but what do they do? They shudder, they tremble. This is God's territory. We have access to a sword of the Spirit, and he will flee. This is why when Jesus was being tempted, every time he did not try to logically work things out with Satan, you know, well, here's, what did he respond every time? Three words. It is written. It is written. It is written. And the enemy's like, I can't handle this. It's like, the enemy cannot handle the word. You have a weapon. And ironically, you know, we are the church that claims to be, we're the church of the truth, right? We have the truth. In the armor, that's the only thing that keeps up the pants. You know? You got a belt of truth. So we're trying to fight with something that keeps up our pants. When God says, no, 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 I got something more powerful. The whole word, you know, like, like a samurai sword or something. We have access. I want to read you a couple of quotes. This one is from Martin Luther, and I loved some of Martin Luther's writings. And it says this. The neglect of Scripture, even by spiritual leaders, is one of the greatest evils in our world. Everything else, arts and, or literature, uh, is pursued and practiced day and night, and there is no end of labor and effort. But Holy Scripture is neglected as though there were no need of it. That was his time, though. That doesn't happen now. That doesn't happen now. Can you imagine back then they were fighting to get Scripture? They were spilling their own blood. That's how valuable Scripture was. We have Bibles. Most of us have more than one Bible. Come on. Most of us have more than one Bible in our homes. We have digital Bibles. We have physical Bibles. And some of them collect so much dust. This is, I believe, just as relevant today as it was 500 years ago. Great controversy. This statement here transformed my life. It says this, page 598. It is not enough to have good intentions. It is not enough to do what a man thinks is right or what the minister tells him is right. 
His soul's salvation is at stake, and he should search the scriptures for himself or herself. However strong may be his convictions, how many, how, no matter how many of the Bible study lessons he's gone through, however confident he may be that the minister knows what is truth, this is not his foundation. He has a chart pointing out every waymark on the heavenward journey, and he ought not to guess at anything. It is the first and highest duty of every rational being to learn from the scriptures what is truth, and then to walk in the light and encourage others to follow his example. We should day by day study the Bible diligently, weighing every thought and comparing scripture with scripture. With divine help, we are to form our opinions for ourselves as we are to answer for ourselves before God. If you are not in the word, by the way, this comes out of a chapter called Scriptures, a Safeguard. In the last days, there is one safeguard. And it really scares me. I wish I could sit down here and you could all see me. It scares me how the lack of the word is in our homes. Because guess what? All of us here in some way, have probably heard somewhat of the, of the, the message. The three, the three angels' message, whatever it is. And we, and we believe, yeah, we have this truth. But if this author is right, she says a lot of us are going to leave the message. And a major reason is because we are not engaged in the word, period. If you are not in the word, and I'm not talking about, now, I have to be careful, because I don't want to, I'm not talking about just studying your lesson. Because I used to do this. I used to study the lesson like on Friday nights. And, I, and you know what? And, it, and you can do, you know, you can do the lesson without opening your Bible. Because they tell you what the answer is right after. Come on, they give you a blank. They said, and it's, so, it's such a leading question. Well, what does this say about here? And, you know, you have the answer. And then, well, I don't really have to read because it says it explains it right there. So you can do it really, really quick. Oh, wow, I got my lesson. I got my fill. No, that's not studying Scripture. That's not comparing Scripture with Scripture. I'm talking about devoting time and letting scripture change you. Because all a Sabbath school lesson is, and I'm not talking bad about the Sabbath, because I do think there is an education that's happening there. But all that's doing is them feeding you what you should believe. But I think real transformation happens when you say, God, I want the word to transform me. I don't, want it, I don't want the word to affirm what I already believe because I will only look for what I already believe. And then I will make excuses where it goes outside of what I believe. No, I want the word to transform my life. Even if it's against what I believe, I want the word to change me. So my question is, how? Because you need a practical. How do we do this? My first 
Well, actually, I wanted to show you a picture here first. Sad to say, this is the best book on how to get into Scripture that I've ever come across. It's by a guy named Rick Warren, and people have their opinions about Rick Warren because of the purpose-driven you know, purpose church and life and everything. But this is one of the best books on how to study Scripture that I've seen out there. And it basically just says how. All it, there, it's not theologically driven. It's just here are different methods on how to get into your word and making, make it meaningful to you, to change your life. So the first one, first step is pray. In Scripture it says, nobody knows, the spirit of a, nobody knows what's in a mind, the mind of a man except for the spirit of a man. So I, in my personal, I always pray that the Spirit guides me. Because we know there's a lot of craziness in people that study in the Word. So I pray, God, this is your Word. I ask that you teach me through this. Second, read. Read. That's it. Just read, read, read. It will not hurt you by reading. And what I would recommend, because there are people that are like, well, I just pick a Bible verse. Let's start in Leviticus. Don't start in Leviticus. All right? Don't start in Leviticus. My recommendation is start with Jesus. My favorite book to encourage people, John. John is so powerful. And it's so different than the other Gospels, these synoptic Gospels. It's so different. I say, just start. And start on your own pace. Start on a pace that is doable every day. If you think that you can't do 20 minutes or 30 minutes every day, then don't do it. Don't try. I'm going to try to run this marathon in Scripture every day when you can just run to the mailbox. That's all you can do right now. So don't try the marathon. It is better to stay consistent in working out. I'm just telling you. I love to see guys that come in every day lifting smaller weights because the consistency builds strength. But if they try to come in once a week and they're trying to throw this weight around, they're going to hurt themselves. And then they get discouraged. Let me tell you just a quick story about a guy that I was working out with when I was at Andrews. It was just so funny to me because he was like, I want to start working out. He's, you know, an old, you know, older gentleman, probably about Rod's age. Um, so he, and he said, I want to start working out. Will you work out with me? And I said, of course, let's do this. And so we work out and we do chest first. He's like, oh, let's do chest. You know, so we do chest. And it wasn't real heavy, but it was definitely outside of, because he hasn't been doing anything. And it probably was the next night we went out to eat with him. And it was winter time, and he had his coat, but he couldn't get his coat on. So in the middle of the restaurant, and it was full, he's throwing his coat, trying to throw it to the other side because he can't stretch like this. He's throwing his coat around. Don't do that because you will get discouraged, and he was discouraged. You will get discouraged if you try to do too much. It is better to stay consistent you will still grow strong. 
but get into the word. Read. Third, listen. We have enough digital stuff where you can listen to scripture. If you need help with that, some of our techie people will show you an app where you can listen to scripture every day. Part of the sad thing here is that I walk to work. It's so far. Even in the snow, I walk to work. So, but at times when I traveled, when I would travel to work and stuff, I would listen to the word. And I like to, when, I'm, when, I'm tra- when we're traveling far, I want to listen to more of the word. Listen to the word. It's trans- transformative. Fourth, memorize the word. Now, this is the one I have the hardest one with because my memory isn't, like, I'll memorize it, and then I'll forget it like two days later. Memorize the word. If you can hide it in your heart, in the sheaf there, then your sword is ready. There's power in that. And fifth, study. Now, this is hard for some people because we don't feel like we have the tools for this. Study the word. If you need help, we will help you. There are tools online that have never, like never before. Commentaries accessible. There's lexicons where you study the word language. There's so much accessible to you. All you need to do is make the step to say, I will study. So pray, read, listen, memorize, study. I know it seems daunting, but step by step, you can do it. Because to return to Akiva, remember, Akiva was illiterate, and he only had sort of the inspiration of his wife, Rachel. And one day, as Akiva, still illiterate, 40 years old, still shepherding, he came to the forest And he saw this huge stone. And he looked at the top of it, and there was a hole drilled all the way to the bottom. And he says, how is this happening? And he looked up top, and there was water. Drip, 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 drip. And he said, If the water has power to drill through this stone, then God has power to teach me Torah. I will cling to learning the Torah. 